Hi, and welcome to A Body's Tale, where we discuss medical maladies firsthand. I'm your host, Eric Ramson. In today's episode, we talk to a young woman about Wolf-Parkinson-White Syndrome, where her heart has an additional pacemaking pathway that leads to additional tachycardia or fast heartbeat. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, I'm uh, sitting here with Kelly, who's going to tell us about a particular syndrome that she had uh, with her heart. Uh, so let's just get started. Go ahead, Kelly. Take it out. Take okay, it away. Okay, so um, I was actually born with a, a heart syndrome called Wolf-Parkinson-White. So it is a genetic uh, condition that I was born with, but it's actually pretty difficult to diagnose because symptoms typically don't start presenting until early adolescence, which is exactly what happened for me. So unless you're specifically looking for it in an EKG in an infant, you're not really going to find it until like late age, like 11 to 12, I think it was. So up until I was actually diagnosed when I was 14, I was pretty healthy, pretty athletic kid. So I kind of had that athlete mentality of like, pushing through physical pain and kind mm. of ignoring things when I probably shouldn't. Sure, sure. <laughs> so um, I actually, around the age of 12, I started experiencing these weird episodes where my heart would suddenly start racing and I'd be really short of breath. It honestly kind of felt like somebody would punch me in the chest all of a sudden and I'd just feel kind of shocked and out of breath. But those would only last for maybe 15 to 20 seconds when that first started for me. So... And that, that only started when you were around 14? It didn't start before that? It started when I was about 12. When you were about so, 12. yeah, okay. so they were, they were pretty uh, mild um, episodes that I was experiencing. So I didn't really think much of them at the time. So for like about a year after those started, I just kind of ignored them and didn't tell anybody about it. Um, but then I did notice over that next year that my episodes were getting a little bit worse. Not necessarily that they were happening more frequently, but they were lasting longer. And I was experiencing more symptoms, actually, where instead of just the shortness of breath and the feeling of my heart pounding, I would actually get like really dizzy and weak. And um, I actually eventually started kind of losing my vision where I just got really tunnel vision. And sure. it would eventually feel like I just had like a black drape over my eyes and I literally couldn't see anything. So I wasn't actually like blacking out as in like losing consciousness, but I just, I couldn't see for a few seconds, but I was still aware of my surroundings and what was going on. So that was, that was kind of when I first started noticing that maybe something was a little off. And now, at those times, you, you'd said when we met before that uh, there were some particular triggers and, and were those triggers then what were giving you these mm -hmm. more, um, more difficult or more, uh, or longer uh uh, oh, I can't find my words today. Longer uh, bouts and, and then the loss of vision. What, what, what were some of those triggers? Yeah, so I was actually becoming a lot more active with sports. So I was playing up to like three sports at that time. And of course, you know, 13-year-olds like to start getting into caffeine. So I was, you know, drinking my brother's rock stars and, and Mountain Dew and whatnot. And caffeine is actually a big trigger for um, those like tachycardic episodes. So I was experiencing that a lot more, but I didn't really make that connection at the time. Mm -hmm. So I really had no idea that that was what was bringing those on. So I, to me, it just seemed like it was coming out of the blue and occasionally they would. I mean, I remember I was actually at my friend's house 
just at a sleepover and we were lying on the floor watching a movie. I wasn't doing anything active. I wasn't super excited. And then all of a sudden I just got that, you know, sensation of my heart pounding and I felt really dizzy and out of it. Um, So it would occasionally trigger just on its own like that. But um, they, they were definitely getting worse as I got older because I was doing a lot more to trigger them. Okay. And uh, for those people listening right now, it's going to be hard to describe um, audibly uh, just uh, or just using words to describe exactly what's going on. But in your heart, you normally have a, a pathway that you get your pacemaker cells uh, in the top of your right atrium, start the process of your heart contracting. And in Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, you have another pathway on the other side of the heart, which most people don't have. And with that second pathway, not only can it um, essentially bypass part of the essential pathway on the the right-hand side, but it can actually start looping. Um, And this is one of the things I I just learned recently about it that's fascinating, is that it can actually start a loop of that, that signal that says, hey, it's time to beat, is now going in a loop that's kind of building up and moving faster. And so, uh, or causing your heart to beat faster because now instead of beating once per signal, you're beating twice or more per signal. So it can cause your heart to beat very, very fast. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. And honestly, the strangest thing about that was anytime I had these episodes and when they did start getting worse, it truly felt like my entire chest was vibrating. Like my heart was beating so fast. It didn't even feel like a heartbeat anymore. It truly just felt like my whole chest was vibrating. Mm. So um, it was actually kind of, an accident that I ended up getting diagnosed because I was 14 and going into track and field for the first time. And so I had to get a physical exam, just like Mm. all the kids do before they start any sport. And my mom was a doctor, so she actually just did my physical exam for me since she was allowed to do that. And I hadn't been doing anything active at the time. I was just at home and my mom, you know, was listening to my heart and lungs and whatnot. And my heart was beating so fast she couldn't actually count it. So she made my dad put his little chest um, heart rate monitor on me to get, get an idea of how fast my heart was actually beating. And it was close to 200 times a minute. So she was literally doing a physical on me while I was in the middle of an episode. So I ended up going to a pediatric cardiologist the very next day. They did an EKG on me and took one look at it and said, oh, no wonder you're having these episodes. You have Wolf Parkinson White, little girl. So. I actually ended up being placed on beta blockers to keep my heart from beating too fast. So I got to run my very first track season when my heart couldn't beat more than 90 beats a minute. So it's going to make it very difficult to run track. Terrible. Okay. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so that wasn't particularly fun, but it did help with the symptoms. I didn't have any episodes for the three months that I was on those beta blockers. So I just had to stay on those until they could uh, schedule me for a procedure, actually. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, within three or four months of being diagnosed, I went in to have a um, catheter ablation done, which is actually a really cool procedure. They didn't, it didn't even exist like 25, 30 years ago. So basically what they do is they run a catheter up through one of my major arteries and up into my heart and they actually cauterize that extra pathway that I had in my heart so that it couldn't transfer that electrical signal anymore. So it's a like barely an invasive procedure. They used to have to do like a full open heart surgery for that. But when I came out of it, all I had were three little scars just kind of in my like groin region. And I was 
back playing volleyball three days after that. But um, unfortunately for me, I was still a very healthy young individual and I apparently had a very thick electrical pathway. So it actually healed itself very quickly. And within about a week and a half of that first procedure, oh, wow. I started experiencing episodes again. Mm. And I told my mom about it. And, you know, initially we just thought that maybe, you know, my heart was still just kind of like getting used to the, you know, recovery from the procedure. So we just maybe thought like, okay, we'll give it a few more days, you know, kind of see how you're feeling then. But I was absolutely certain I, I had several episodes a day. So I was like, no, mom, this isn't this isn't normal. So I ended up having to go back in and they gave me a little port- portable EKG, basically, that I, I just wore with the little leads on my chest. And um, I actually was able to record my heart activity every time that I felt like I was having an episode. So anytime I felt it get triggered, I'd press a little record button and it would record what my heart was doing and actually send it to the cardiologist's office at the hospital. So that was really cool. Yeah, with that, you told me uh, when we met originally, you said, ask about the socks. Oh, yes. So um, there was basically this is kind of the last straw. Um, I had to I was just walking into my room to get a pair of socks. I wasn't doing anything crazy, active, nothing like that. I was just grabbing a pair of socks and I bent down and I felt like I got hit by a train. Basically, my heart started beating so fast. I lost my vision for a couple seconds and I just got absolutely covered head to toe in a sheen of sweat. I felt so weak and so dizzy and I kind of stumbled my way out to the living room to find my mom and, you know, I pressed a little record button on my EKG monitor and told mom like, this is really bad. This feels way worse than anything I've had before. So I was just kind of sitting there in my living room waiting for it to pass and it just wasn't going away. And I sat there for maybe 10 or 15 minutes until I actually got a phone call on my house line and I, my mom answered it and it was actually the on-call cardiologist at the hospital. And he called my mom to see and ask like, is your daughter okay? Like I'm, I'm looking at her EKG right now. Is she, is she still conscious? Is she doing okay? And my mom was like, yeah, no, she's, I mean, she's a little out of breath, a little pale and sweaty, but she's still conscious, you know? And the cardiologist said, okay, well, her heart's been beating 215 times a minute for the past 15 minutes. So she's going to have to come back in here and get another surgery. So I, that was that. Did you, did you go on that day? I didn't. They had to schedule me for another procedure because it it is a big, a big thing. So I ended up going back in and taking beta blockers for, I think, like another week or two um, until they could get me seen again. Uh, So the second time I went back in for my procedure, they were much more aggressive with cauterizing my heart. Um, So that was good. It was actually successful that time. But I remember waking up from that procedure and I just I felt exhausted like I never had before. I was I felt like all the weight of the world was like sucking me <laughs> into the ground because I was so exhausted and I woke up and told my mom like I honestly feel like I just sprinted a marathon and the doctor who was standing next to me was like, "Well, you you practically did because we were having your heart beat 230 times a minute for the past 2 hours." in the cath lab to make sure that you weren't going to get triggered again. So yeah. Can, <laughs> did they explain to you what that, why that was like, why you, they had to, to keep your heart rate up so much um, for that two hours? 
mainly because they wanted to just make sure that it was actually effective. They wanted, they didn't do that for the first procedure. Um, so because they, especially because they were much more aggressive with cauterizing that extra pathway, they wanted to make sure that everything was still functioning normally. Um, but primarily they just wanted to make sure for like, I mean, the procedure takes almost three hours anyway, um, but they just wanted to really crank my heart rate up while they were in there so that they could really make sure that nothing was going to trigger it again. So I was getting pumped with a whole lot of adrenaline during the entire procedure, and it was exhausting when I woke up. <laughs> yeah, it, all that adrenaline for two straight hours, it's, it's, you're not really meant to do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Uh, you had also said before that one of the other triggers was swimming, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. So actually, this was probably the very first time that I really realized something was wrong. Initially, I'd been chalking all these episodes up to, you know, probably just like dehydration or something. I thought I was just dizzy because I was dehydrated. But um, I was actually in Italy with my family and we were cliff jumping, not extreme cliff jumping, but it was a good like 15, 20 foot drop. And I'd been swimming the whole week and not really having any issues. Um, but I just this one time I went and jumped off the cliff into the water. And the second I hit the water, I actually did black out. So this was one of the first times I ever actually lost consciousness with one of my episodes. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I did it first, but my mom actually said that when I, I hit the water, I stayed underwater for a couple seconds, like much longer than I normally would have. Um, so I, I did come to within, you know, maybe five to eight seconds or something and kind of clawed my way to the surface, but I completely lost my vision. So I, you know, came up from underwater and couldn't see anything. So that was kind of terrifying. Um, and yeah, my heart was just pounding and I was super short of breath and disoriented. And it took me a while to find my way back to the ladder so I could, you know, <laughs> get on land and you know, breathe normally for a while. But yeah, for some reason, swimming is actually a really big trigger for those kind of episodes. Um, it's just kind of the shock of your body being immersed in water all of a sudden, I guess, kind of, you know, just like an adrenaline rush that would trigger that. So um, that was really the first time that I knew something was probably pretty wrong. But, you know, I was in Italy, so I put it out of my mind. <laughs> and, sure, sure. And, and then I still wasn't diagnosed until a year later. But that was definitely one of the more scary instances where I noticed like, okay, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen to most people. And I'm sure that fear makes it even worse. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because now you've got all that adrenaline that's upping your heart rate anyway, too. Mm -hmm. And it's just making it worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So that, that one was definitely much scarier. But I still just... I. Once I was okay and nothing really bad happened, I just figured, eh, you know, it's not, I'm fine. I didn't die. <laughs> we'll think about that when I get back home. And then we ended up not really thinking about it. <laughs> hmm. But you said uh, the second one did take, so mm -hmm. you, you haven't had any issues in how long? Um, it's It'll be eight years this June, actually. So in, in a couple weeks, I'll have been cleared for eight years. I haven't had any issues. And even though that second procedure was much harder on my body, uh, I actually recovered very quickly. I was back to volleyball practice within four or five days of that procedure. Four or five days? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's just I had to take it easy for a while, and they had me um, taking a lot of like aspirin and ibuprofen to present or prevent any clots from happening. Sure. Um, so that was really the only thing that I had to do post-op was just make sure I, I took 
both of those for about a month afterward. Um, and then from there, I was I was in the clear, and I felt totally normal. Yeah, it's amazing that they can do it so efficiently that you can be back to sports in mm-hmm. five days. Like that's unbelievable. Yeah. It was, Versus an open heart surgery where you're going to be out for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I barely have any scars from it either, so that's even better. <laughs> right. Right. That's fascinating. What What is this? Uh, this whole process. This whole. Uh, all of these events, all of the the surgery, all of this, what kind of influence do you think it's had on you? Um, probably the biggest thing was just, I mean, I've always been interested in medicine to begin with, but um, I think experiencing something like that firsthand just kind of gives you a little more insight into how scary it actually can be to, you know, deal with you know, severe health problems. And especially, I mean, for me, I'm so lucky that it wasn't a chronic thing, you know, that i did have the opportunity to get it fixed and taken care of, and now I'm perfectly healthy. But um, yeah, just thinking about people who who don't have that option and would have to deal with something like that for the rest of their lives definitely gives you a lot more perspective on um, just you know how first of all how amazing modern medicine is, but also just you know the fact that you're lucky enough to to be alive and be healthy. Um, so and I think it also just makes you much more sensitive to people who do have to deal with that um, because it is a really scary process, you know. So um, it's definitely important to, to keep that in mind. And, and have that compassion and understanding then mm-hmm. for whatever patients you may work with. Exactly, yeah. I, I think that was the biggest thing too is, you know, I feel like so many people in, in medicine, they kind of just look at the problem and they're like, okay, we're just going to try to treat that. And sometimes we forget to look at the person and think about how they might be feeling and how they're actually, you know, processing all this information. So that's something that I definitely came away with was just, you know, you got to look at the person too, not, not just the problem because, you know, it's, it's really about them, not just whatever health issue they're dealing with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, as per usual, I I don't think I could say it any better. So uh, thank you very much, Kelly, for, for sharing your um, condition and your kind of road to recovery. Uh, I really appreciate it and, and I hope everyone enjoyed. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well that is it for this episode. Thank you for joining. Uh, if you want to find out more information, the Mayo Clinic has a very interesting website on uh, Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome. Just go to your favorite search engine and search Mayo Clinic Wolf Parkinson White. Thanks for stopping by A Body's Tale and I remind you to be kind and be curious.